Well, this is part two of how to fail at video on the Video Reformation Podcast. If you haven't listened to part one, I think I strongly recommend, yes, I strongly recommend going back and listening to part or watching part one first, because I imagine there's a whole lot that happens in part two that references stuff in part one. So you'll just be better off if you go back. It's and, a bunch of inside jokes. Really. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about being on set and uh, how to manage your crew. Mm-hmm. What are some good ways to fail at properly managing your crew? Trying to tell the crew what to do and how to do it when they're the experts. Yeah. <laughs> That's really annoying for a gaffer to be told by a producer who's wearing dress shoes and a sport jacket. <laughs> Uh, how do you rig a light? You have a very um, high uh, esteem of producer. Yeah. So I think I think being too much of a boss and not letting people do their best work is a is a way to uh, to really mess up. On not set. giving them enough time. We kind not of touched give, on this already. Yep, yep. Right. It it takes time to get up on a fourteen foot ladder and get lights, you know, hung from the rigging or. Yep. Whatever it may be, it it takes time to uh, unload the truck, to unload the truck, to to get camera in place, to look at the lighting through the camera, to see where some troubles. Uh, yeah. yeah, this may seem silly, but I believe it's an important part of of set etiquette as a producer. Set etiquette. Set etiquette. You must have good quality food on set getting uh you know four boxes of an assortment of bojangles biscuits and (laughs) and chicken for three days in a row for breakfast is not uh, a quality way to start your day Uh, i mean it's better than just granola bars yes but i'm saying have have like i like to actually take orders from people from specific restaurants if we have multiple day shoots i like to change up the restaurants i like to keep people I don't know, excited for lunch, not like, oh, great, it's peanut butter and jellies that Justin's wife made because <laughs> we didn't have a budget for craft. Justin's two sons made. <laughs> I would not eat that. So I think I just think bringing some quality food, quality beverages on set uh, is, is important, a variety, so that people can either eat healthy. I think asking about um, uh, allergies is important, too, to make sure that your actor's can actually eat the food that you've brought. Mm-hmm. A way to fail is to not send a call sheet. Mm, yep. That didn't make our list yeah. somehow. Well, there's dozens of things that probably aren't on here, but yes, you're right. That everybody needs no, we're to trying know to what the properly prepare people for how to fail. Yeah, that's true. Right? Um, so don't create call sheets. Another thing on set is to tell people if you has, you know, if you want to fail, say if you have an idea, just shout it at the actor. Um, directors love nothing more than to be just stampeded over and, and trampled upon by a PA or a, or even the producer or whoever. Ideally, and in reality, if you have an idea, it should go to the director privately yes. and he can decide, she can decide. A producer or an account manager or someone needs to go to the client and make very clear expectations of chain of commands and how they are to communicate suggestions, changes, whatever. And the thing that they must be told not to do Mm -hmm. is to just shout it out. I'm now having flashbacks 
Some of our first projects together? <laughs> to some of our earlier projects. Whew. It can be a collaborative, um, creative space on set. It just needs to be done properly. And then the talent needs to understand whether they need to disregard. Because talent's going to hear, even when there is discussion between director and cinematographer or director and producer or director and client or producer and client talent is going to hear that and they're going to either say oh i can totally do that or yeah i was thinking whatever they need to be told to they can hear everything but they only need to actually absorb what's coming from director Mm -hmm. or these are the two voices yeah. That you could respond to if there's a co-director or a director and producer, depending on that relationship. Anything else that they happen to hear, they then defer back to that person. Yeah. Do you want me to yeah. do that? Um, and then usually what happens as the set goes on, that tends to relax a little bit. And there's a little bit more of a flow. Um, but setting those expectations and, and ground rules for that kind of chain of communication is hugely important otherwise the whole thing i mean i remember it's almost not even fair to think about this but going back to our first project together in the restaurant in the restaurant the first day we were you you and i were both so green and we had brought in this experienced person to basically operate camera and set up some lights Mm -hmm. Um, lights audio and camera two people the realization after the first terrible day was the problem with the shoot is that there's not a director. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it hadn't occurred to anybody that there was a director. So there was, this was an internal shoot, so it's a little bit different than client, whatever. But like, you know, there was, there were the client executives who were shouting feedback over. There there was just nobody giving People in any, the shadows. There were actors on, in the yes. light. Who yeah. were not even actors; they were employees, right? <laughs> Which is another great way to fail. Um, and then there's people in the shadows, the out list. of light, who are just saying things, and you don't even know who it is or if they carry any weight. And, or are yeah. they talking to talent? Or are they talking to someone else? Right. Is it a question? Is it a suggestion? Is it a mandate? Um, yeah, that was that was an interesting night between shoot day one and shoot day two, of just uh, completely rethinking what the next two days were going to look like. All I remember from the next day is it went smoother, but I picked you up as your car was broken and you didn't say anything. You didn't look at me. You just put on Bruce Springsteen and said, I'm directing today. I need this right now. Just, just drive. <laughs> I'm like, All right. <laughs> just drive. So I feel like this, I feel like this one's a little bit stepped down, but I think if we talk about, if we thought about some ways to fail uh, in post-production, I mean, so what we have here is not organizing your files and your assets. Um, that's certainly true. I don't, I don't know that it rises to the level of some of these other things. No, but like a lot of projects will have multiple people involved in post production. Yeah, and sharing project files is a lot easier when everybody has their stuff organized the same way. Yeah, and that yeah, they have the same file structure essentially. And and the appropriate backups and multiple right. copies and that's, that's what i was gonna say I, I wrote two other ones down which is uh if you want to fail don't back up your hard drives yeah um and then on top of that i remember <laughs> when anthony was here uh, with us at storyboard media 
on his computer monitor was a sticky note. The only one, the only sticky note on his, on his monitor that says, save your project. And you can set up auto saves to be every five, 10, 15 minutes, whatever. But when you do something and it's remarkable or, or yep. even not, just go ahead and hit command S. Yeah. It's, it's an important habit to get into. Maybe this whole episode isn't about like, don't fix it in post. It's just don't do anything in post. <laughs> post just takes care of itself, right? Yeah, just um, robots. If you, okay. If there are multiple videos, especially if there are multiple editors, uh, make sure that there are clear standards set, or sorry, if you want to fail, make sure that no one has set any clear standards in terms of color, audio, um, graphics, uh, because it's real easy to end up with a series of videos that goes together that has different color correction, different audio mm -hmm. levels, um, different typefaces. Even if it's the same typeface, just different sizes. Um, that can be hard enough when there's one person managing multiple mm -hmm. deliverables. It gets real hard when there's nobody in a position to... Uh, look at the output from each individual editor or animator and determine before it's delivered to client whether this stuff matches. Mm -hmm. Well, I suppose if you followed most of the list already, uh, by the time you've gotten to this point, everything's pretty well laid out. You've gotten your coverage. You've uh, got your... Uh, I, You know, I, I think... Here's one. If you want to fail at video, wait to include your editor until you're handing them the footage for the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, the earlier you can brief or involve your post-production team, the better an idea of what it is that you're going for. Uh, even with scripted content, uh, some of the choices that an editor has to make, like music, pacing, um, how, how long are we staying on one shot overall versus how quickly are we cutting, those kinds of things are coming up earlier in the conversation and the people involved in post are involved in those. They're going to get to the intended final product quicker. Um, so try to involve your post-production team as early as possible, unless you want to fail at video. Not communicating some of the just general project settings. Like where is this going? Like, is, is this sure. going to be something that does it need to be 1080 or does it need to be 4k? Cause it's projected on a large screen. Mm -hmm. Does it need to be the aspect ratio need to be 16, nine or something anamorphic? Um, does it need to be 30 frames per second? Cause it's on television or does it need to be 23.98? Cause that's your preference. Um, understanding some of those things as well, uh, or not understanding those is another way to fail. Well, and especially if you were, if you had one person editing and another person doing some, maybe even just 2D motion graphics, those frame rate type issues mm -hmm. and aspect ratio and um, output size it could potentially be an issue um, if you're not sharing the same information with both or all parties. Mm -hmm. um, and those are just easy mistakes to overcome, pre-overcome, to avoid, to prepare for. A sure way to fail when distributing your content is to not give it or give it the wrong call to action. I know we've saved strategy for last year because we so often lead with strategy, but um, not giving our audience uh, a singular thing to do at the end of watching a video is 
uh, it's a waste of their time and it's, it's a waste of, of the time that we spent making it. Um, because if you're not driving some kind of action um, in B2B video, uh, you're just you're just missing the whole point. Um, so you have to craft the right call to action. And more and more, we find ourselves putting the actual call to action on the place that it's being distributed as opposed to like baked into or edited into the video. Yeah. Be give, give an example. So um, a, a video, a 60 second promo video um, could work on a product page of the client's website could work as a um, organic LinkedIn post, could work as a uh, YouTube pre-roll ad. And, and depending on where that is being embedded, posted, used, distributed, um, you're likely going to want people to go to a slightly different place. So if it's embedded on the website, you wouldn't say visit our product page now because you're already watching the video on the product page. Yep. If it's the LinkedIn organic post, it may be visit this page with the actual link to the product page. And if it's part of a, a broader paid promotional campaign, you may have a landing page set up that you want to go to to better track conversions than just uh, the product page or yeah. something like that. So if you create a video that has a logo sting at the end and then you know says learn more or go here or whatever – you then have to export that many videos, which is fine. But what we found ourselves doing is actually just relying on the post itself to drive the action to, you know, leveraging that clickable link uh, on those platforms uh, to drive someone to click here instead of read, you know, companyname.com slash product slash right. this so product. Like on LinkedIn... Uh, you you can't put calls to action in the actual video player, so you've got right. to put it in the post, yeah, or put it in the first comment because they favor. It, the LinkedIn yes. will reward you for not sending people somewhere, so they'd rather see it in the in the comments as opposed to the post. But on on, on a website on a landing page, maybe you have the call to action on the page itself, so you can do some A/B testing. Sure. The point of making content is to get your prospects or existing customers to take some kind of action. And if you do all the work of making the content and then don't prompt them to take that action. Don't make it easy for If you don't make it easy for them, yes. it will likely fail. Yeah, and if you've done the work of creating compelling content that that gets them to want to, like, I want to go to there, mm -hmm. but there's no, like, button mm -hmm. to go to there, frustrating that can be frustrating and they just bounce out and you just wasted a bunch of money mm -hmm. we've essentially defined that as making a video easy for your intended audience to find you're not putting it in front of them yet that's promotion right but you're making it easy to find so what's a way to fail at distribution hiding it <laughs> yeah essentially yeah making it hard to find what are some or, things or putting it somewhere and not telling anybody that you put it there sure Happens all the time. You might have a product, that same product video, on your product page or a landing page or multiple places. Uh, but the easy way to find it for for some people may be YouTube, yep. because because it's a very large search engine, and if they're looking for help with a particular need, they might go there. Or even Google will 
will show that as a search result. So there's a lot of things you can put on a YouTube video that help make it more attractive and more easy to find. Titles, yep. tags, descriptions, Keywords. thumbnails. Yep. All those, those four things are very, very important in terms of helping people find the right video for them. Um, but then also having that video, like if you've got it on, like I said, that landing page, why not also put it on your resources page? If you've got mm-hmm. videos and webinars and, and white papers and whatever, make a spot for it there as well. If you've got a captive audience on a newsletter or on social right. channels, well, take some time to announce to those followers multiple times over time. Don't just do it once. Um, for the people who are already committed to paying attention to you on some level, um, tell them, hey, we've got this thing that explains that thing. Click on this doohickey to go watch that thing. That <laughs> kind of didn't follow that for a second. Yep. It's a good thing I'm not a strategist or anything. Thing is a good word. Thing is a great word. Yeah. You don't have to be too descriptive about anything. Yep. Things and kinda, stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We Any, yeah every, should be in every writer's toolbox. We are committed to do good things and stuff. Yep. Okay. Promotion. I got a do promotion. You, do you just do you just shove some money into YouTube and hope that it works? A lot of people do. <laughs> no, I uh, anybody who's done any digital paid promotion knows that those campaigns are much more successful when you've done the legwork to define the audience that you want it to reach out. And different platforms have different levels of granularity um, as to how specific you can get. But broadly speaking, the more specific you are about who you want to be able to see this paid promotional piece, the more efficient that campaign is going to be, uh, click-through rates are going to be higher than compared to a broader audience, those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, not understanding what of those choosable characteristics apply to your target audience uh, is is money that you're just throwing at Alphabet, and <laughs> they'll take it. More and more, I'm seeing campaigns designed around those attributes of mm-hmm. uh, not just the the audience but where they will be watching it and in b2b that can be a very fickle because you maybe you want to use tiktok but mm-hmm. you have to have the right content in tiktok to get someone who because right. more than likely that viewer if in a b2 if they're a b2b type of viewer more than likely they're not viewing it at work they might be viewing it in their off time at lunch at home at, at night uh, and so having the right content that isn't all about work, 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 product, 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 solution, solution, making, maybe just exposing them to something more fun about your company as a culture or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so knowing what that platform is and why people are there and, and understanding who they are is becoming more and more of a defining uh, characteristic of, of campaigns as opposed to the product itself. One way that I think we've mentioned before to fail at video is to try to make the one video that rules them all. The one video that is efficient, right? Mm -hmm. That's the client terminology. Sure. We want to create an efficient, 
all-inclusive video. Used to have a long shelf life. <laughs> that is evergreen. Yeah. And talks about everything that we do, who we are, our founder's story, yep. our products, to all of our potential audiences, but also people who might work for us. Mm -hmm. uh, so not just customers, but also potential employees. And um, yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. I mean, I'd almost, I'd almost rather hear. Uh, we need to make a viral video, <laughs> than to hear yeah. that. Yeah. Because I feel like with viral video, I can unpack. You can dig to get to an, to an right. actual. Okay, what is it you're trying to actually? Yeah. You know, uh, what about virality? Um, are you interested in? I I mean the response my response to to the other is okay well let's do a springboard and let's identify who your audiences are what it is you want them to do what your goals are like because all of those things that you just packed in there really need to be addressed with multiple videos mm -hmm. not one video that is so watered down and so jam-packed that somebody watches it and doesn't really know what they just heard mm -hmm. or saw so a lot of times that request will be prefaced by just a short yes <laughs> video about but, but short also means cheap right yeah yeah i'm just looking for a short like three to four minute so if you could pitch some ideas to me for free yeah which is what i was going to add in here into the strategy which mm -hmm. is strategy helps you develop good creative yes if you ask somebody to just send you a couple ideas and put a price tag on it Chances are those ideas are not fully baked. No. They're not strategic in any way. And if you're not, a way to fail is to not pay somebody to come up with that, those ideas. People just aren't going to put the work into it if they haven't been paid for it. Well, it, it becomes, I mean, I feel like I'm beating the same drum, but it becomes a waste of resources. Um, it becomes, video is, is to be viewed as an investment, not an expense. And if you don't know what you're trying to accomplish with a video because you haven't thought about it strategically and you just think, oh, this is a really – and it may be a really valid, cool, creative idea. Mm -hmm. But the creative idea is not enough to hang your hat on when you're trying to invest in video content because you end up making it and, – and you make all of these decisions – based on not understanding, not having taken the time to understand the audience, the purpose, mm -hmm. the distribution channels. And so, so it, and it feels really good and rewarding and fun and creative and smart to keep making these creative decisions based on this original creative idea. Mm -hmm. And they may all seem valid and they may all be valid, but you have, right, and that kind of leads into like considering yourself as the audience. That's a fantastic way to fail at video is think, I like this idea, so our audience is going to like this idea. Right. Um, and that happens a ton. Like our CEO doesn't like that concept, so we're going to go with this one. Well, okay. is he buying? The yeah. Our, our CEO is typically your buyer. Oh, no, no, no. Our buyer is okay. usually much further down uh, the chain of command. Oh, okay. So why do we care what your CEO Mm. thinks about something um 
And, and I don't, and I, I want to belabor the point here that, that there can be really inspired creative ideas that come with a lack of strategy um, that could be really valid and really good. It, it's just don't skip running it through the stress test of who's our audience, are they going to re relate to this? Is this going to draw them to take the action we want them to take? If you can check those boxes strategically, then Godspeed, go make that yep. brilliant creative idea. But if you rely on the fact that it is brilliantly creative only and it doesn't check those strategic boxes, then you're going to go spend a lot of money and make something that's really – interesting to a very limited audience that is going to have zero impact on your business. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe you want to get out of being a digital marketing manager and you want to be a creative director. And so you put that in your portfolio and it gets you your next job. Great. But what has it done for the company who paid for that? Mm -hmm. Well, it is just kind of covered all of them there. So, uh, that one, that one is a little more specific. I feel yeah, like, I, you know, I, I, I've been giving some thought to this one over the weekend, so I want you to start with it because I, I think okay. I have a challenge to it. Oftentimes, a, an agency will share a couple different creative approaches to- Having been paid for them. Yes. Hopefully. Okay. Um, share several different creative approaches to, to a specific strategic concept, right? Um, more often than not, a client likes them all or, or several of them, two, three of them. Sure. Um, and has trouble deciding, so they ask how they can get a little from column A, column B, and column C, and you know, button that up, and you know, so just go ahead and combine those, uh, and let's make that. Yeah. And we've found that some things are just so thematically different that one is maybe more driven on aesthetics, and one is more about a messaging, and one more one is more humorous, and they want to pack all that together. And it, they start to combat each other and don't work as well as one. I, I want to see it more as a creative exercise when a client comes back with, well, this is what I like about this idea, but I don't just want to do it as presented. I want to take this piece of concept two and whether or not there's a piece of concept three. I, I, the way I want to position this is, is resist the urge to, to just say, yeah, we can do that. Um, but don't position yourself as we shan't do right, that. Right, right, right. There, there's a there's a creative challenge there to make some tweaks to each of the parts of the concepts to make them compatible. Um, but it especially when you think about so often this conversation is positioned right before some kind of sale. There is a production contract on the line. There is something. It's so easy to be motivated mm -hmm. by an acceptance of shared creative to just say, great, sure, we can do that. Here's the contract to sign. We'll figure it out in pre. <laughs> we'll figure it out in writing how this stuff comes together. And that's so often when you start to see how those elements right because especially for anybody listening on the agency side who has been or who has been on the agency side you've you've come up with six eight ten twelve ideas 
you've whittled those down into the elements from the ones that were too similar to get to these three different ideas. And you've chosen the three different approaches because they're different. Not because they're so similar, but because they're different. Yep. And this is our best versions of these ideas and these three different approaches. You've kind of already gone through taking the parts of the ideas and figured out which ones are kind of drawn to each other. Like you've already kind of said, well, like this element of this thing actually goes with this other part of this idea, not the, and that's what the client is then kind of trying to ask you to do. So it could be done. I would just take the mentality of digging a little bit deeper, understanding what it is about that piece from this other concept mm -hmm. and think about it as tweaking the primary concept that in a way that satisfies what it was sure. that they liked as opposed to just taking that Airbnb photo style piece to add authenticity to this other version. Yeah. Okay, well, you said authenticity. What doesn't feel authentic about the first one? Dive into that and just try to add authenticity instead of just taking that bolt-on piece yeah. from, from so pitch two. So if you've got three, three concepts that all uh, kind of look like a Venn diagram, don't just go for the middle Right. Pick a foundation and figure out what it is from the other two that are important. Try and build that in, but not necessarily the way that it was done. Well, and, and I imagine you'll find, well, you know, concept A really speaks to our primary audience, but that part of concept B would really speak to our secondary audience. Okay, but, but we want to keep this focused to your primary audience. So let's not water this thing down by you know, just adding in this piece that's going to kind of pull away from the strength and the core focus of this other concept just to appease a secondary. Let's talk about that as a second video mm -hmm. that we can do specifically for your secondary audience. We don't have to put the same kind of resources into it, but if they react differently to different types of messaging, let's make it a different piece of content than bolting it on to, I don't know, there's a lot of actually connective pieces in this whole episode. Good for us. All right, I'm sure we've missed some things. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there, I'm sure we'll find new ways to fail <laughs> on fact, every project. I would encourage our audience to share with us ways that they've failed at video. And we'll give it a try. And we'll try it. And we'll we'll probably confirm that that's a great way to fail at video. Yeah. Well, A big part of vid video is just learning from failures, and that's how we've gotten here. And, uh, you know, I imagine sure. uh, everyone listening will encounter some of these and – Listen or not, but... Um, I know we used some examples from our history for some of these bullet points, but I bet if we thought for another half an hour, we could come up with an example for every single bullet and sub-bullet we have here, and that's why it made our list. So mm. all this episode is, is basically, here are the mistakes that we've made, don't make them. Mm -hmm. Or that that our clients have tried to make, that yeah, maybe because we've made them before, we said, let's not... Let's not go down that road again. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Video Reformation Podcast. I've been Ben Oliver. I'm still Justin Plant. And, uh, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> we're tired. Two-parter. Well. We've been in here for like two hours. And we're, we're just running through a whole bunch of stuff here. Quick yeah. fire. So that has been two episodes of the Video Reformation Podcast all about how not to fail at video. Or no, how to <laughs> fail at video. Um, yeah, two episodes. That's, yeah. that's how to fail from two guys in two episodes. That's the end. <laughs>